0: Welcome to On The Verge, this is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on today's episode, we're going to preview an active minor league baseball season as the Orioles affiliates are just about two weeks away from getting started. And we're going to basically have a two-part preview um, starting this week with pitchers and followed by position players next week. Um, So in addition to getting into some of the young hurlers in the Orioles farm system tonight, we're also going to take a look at some of the latest news items that have come about over the last week concerning the Orioles, both at the Major League and at the Minor League level. Uh, but first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Uh, The big news item of the last few days, we're recording this on Wednesday. um, The big news item of the last few days has been that Heston Kerstad, the Orioles' first-round pick last year, has been medically cleared to report to the alternate site in Bowie. Um, Kerstad had a bout of myocarditis that he has been working his way back from. Jim Callis at MLB.com tweeted on Tuesday that uh, Kerstad is expected to undergo a months-long buildup before he uh, goes into game action one of the Orioles' affiliates. At this point, it looks likely the Kerstad will continue to work out the alternate site for a couple more weeks before reporting to Sarasota, and hopefully sometime uh, in the next few months report to one of the Orioles' full-season affiliates. So I'll start with Bob. Uh, what's your reaction to Kerstad coming back onto the field now? Well, first, I thought
1: your biggest news of the week was going to be that we were nominated for the Maryland Podcast Awards, but (laughs) I guess not. Uh, No, it's great news. I'm just relieved that he's okay. He's actually going to get to play baseball. You know, it's more of a relief than great news, but it's just nice to finally see him get in there. It'll probably take him time to get into the swing of things, but I think we all have to take a grain of salt with his early results once he finally gets into minor league action, but just it's good to get him in there and we'll finally get to see what a, what he looks like in an Orioles or minor league affiliate of the Orioles uh, uniform this season.
2: Yeah, I think I feel the same way. I mean, from a baseball standpoint, I think a lot of people are frustrated. They were frustrated with the pick when it first happened, when you had somebody like Austin Martin sitting there, maybe even Asa Lacey sitting there and the Orioles go underslot with Kerstad. And then he debuts the back end of a top 100 prospect list after the draft. I think it kind of fueled those frustrations a little bit among Orioles fans, but We've discussed before why if you look back at the 2020 draft, we like this Kerstad pick and why we think it could benefit this organization. But I think all that's kind of irrelevant right now, like in my opinion, he's a 22-year-old kid who's got a serious heart condition or he's hopefully recovered now from a serious heart condition. Considering what we've lived through for the last 12 plus months, I mean, I think that's first and foremost is his health. And if he doesn't want to talk about his medical history, obviously he doesn't have any need to. He doesn't need to talk to us about that. That's his own personal thing. And so, I mean, I think for Orioles fans, just get excited that he's healthy. He's back out there in the field and just realize he's probably not going to play in very many games this year. Uh, and if he does, I mean, there, there are bigger things to worry about right now. He's he's only 22 years old. Uh, he's got a high floor. And when he does get in minor league ball, he's not going to be there for very long, hopefully. So it's, it's good. At least we know that he's back and he's going to be swinging a bat again because it's been a very long time since he swung a bat.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, because keep in mind that Kerstad was playing last year at Arkansas. You had the Swarton college baseball season, and then he was drafted, was not at the team's alternate site over the summer, did not report to Sarasota for fall instructs. And it was sort of noted then that he had a non-baseball-related medical issue, which we found out later on, was myocarditis. Um, so just the fact that Kerstad is healthy is you know great news that he's able to get back on the field. I think whatever you get from Kerstad this year at any level, regardless of whether it's Delmarva, Aberdeen, if there's some time in the GCL, whatever it is, you got to take that as a positive and then look for 2022 to be when you see him hopefully healthy on the field from day one.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like our mini... Obviously, different situation, but it's like the minor league version of the Trey Mancini thing where it's just, it'll be nice to see him on the field and playing baseball again. Obviously, different circumstance, but.
0: Yeah, so Kerstad will see what happens there over the coming weeks and months, but the good news is that he has been medically cleared to uh, work out the team's alternate site in Bowie. Um, at the major league level, the Orioles have had uh, kind of a shuffle in the last few days with their outfield. Austin Hayes comes off the injured list, and then immediately Anthony Santander gets hurt uh, in the Orioles game at Miami on Tuesday night. Fortunately, reports on Wednesday are indicating that's a left ankle sprain, which is not as severe as many had initially feared, given that Santander had to be helped off the field on Tuesday night after suffering that injury. Um, John Mioli, the Baltimore Sun, had a really good piece this morning sort of breaking down how the Orioles' outfield depth, which has been really identified as one of the biggest uh, early strengths of this rebuild. is coming into play because we have seen very few games this season where you've had Ryan Malcastle, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, um, all in the same lineup with Austin Hayes. And now you're going to have that for at least a little bit longer because Santander goes on the I.L., so, Nick, I'll just start with your reaction there. Hayes coming back, then Santander um, now being out on the injured list.
2: Yeah, I was, I was expecting the worst when he was putting no pressure on that ankle coming off the field. But it, leading up to that point, though, I, I sat here and tried to figure out, like, what kind of lineup would I like to see the Orioles roll out there? What would make the most sense? Uh, what would be best for, like, long-term future implications of this roster? And I, I couldn't think of any. There's just so many different ways – I guess my biggest takeaway was I'm glad I don't have to make up the lineup card in this situation, to be totally honest. Um, You know, we've seen the Orioles take Mountcastle out of left field, put him at first base. And we know even though Mancini doesn't want to sit, I love his passion and his drive to be the best, but he's he's going to sit more often, I think, um, or at least pretty regularly. So you're going to be able to fit DJ Stewart, Cedric Mullins, Santander when he's healthy, and Austin Hayes. You're going to be able to get all these guys at bats somehow. And, And this is a strength of this roster. And, it breeds competition, which is what this team needs. Um, we need somebody to start stepping up because the last few games, I'm going to be honest, I've been checking out pretty early in these games, especially today, because it's they're kind of rough to watch. I mean, I want somebody to step up. Austin Plays made that great play yesterday, but, again, you know, he can't stay healthy. Uh, DJ Stewart goes on these streaks. He looks good. I th- I'm thought i maybe finding a little spark again for DJ Stewart. I'm not going to bang the desk for him to be in the starting lineup, but uh, it's fun to see him hit those bombs again. Um You know, having Hayes back is fun. It's exciting. I guess we take what we can get. Cedric Mullins is throwing his name in the mix now. Uh, Usually Diaz is going to be knocking on the door pretty soon, hopefully. I know uh, there's a lot of drama today. A lot of Orioles fans are thinking it might have been Diaz getting that call up today, but it was McKenna again. Um, But it's it's fun. This outfit is still fun. Santander's injury hopefully isn't too serious, but I think with the oblique injury earlier and now this ankle sprain, I'm curious to see how long this is going to affect Santander. I feel like it's going to be a whole lot longer than just two to four weeks.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. But it's just funny going into last night's game. It's like, oh, my gosh, especially with no DH, what are we going to do? We got all these outfielders, five guys you could, you know, you could make a case should start for the team. And then, oh, what do you know? That sorted itself out in two batters. But, uh, yeah, it's a—it's like uh, that John Mioli piece is a great point, that that's why you have this talent pipeline where you're supposed to build the depth where you can pull from within when a need arises and, this is an early example of hopefully what we'll have throughout the entire organization within a year or two.
0: Yeah. And the Orioles have had the kind of shuffle around their outfield yet. You get the sense they haven't really scratched the surface, the higher levels of the minor leagues, because they still have used Neil Diaz down there. They still have Tyler Nevin who can play the outfield down there. They have to Jones who can also play the outfield there. And those are all guys that we're expecting to see um, some point this year, if not somewhat early in the season. So, there's still more depth to go there, and I think is you know the point that John Mioli raised in his piece has been that the Orioles are now trying to build that depth with their infield. They're not there at the higher levels of the system yet, and I think it's going to take another year or two to get to that point. But something that we're going to talk about really as we preview the minor league season is that at the lower levels of the farm system, you're starting to see that infield depth build up a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think we reference the Padres a lot, I feel like, on the show, but that's that's the the second team that I I know a lot about. And I can use them as an example here where you've got Fernando Tatis Jr., arguably one of the top young superstars of baseball. You've also got Manny Machado over at third base, who could probably still step in at shortstop and be one of the top shortstops in all of baseball. Then you've got a Jake Cronenworth kid who just rakes. Then you've got Hassan Kim, who they brought in from the KBO last season. You have CJ Abrams in their system, one of the top shortstop prospects. Like, why do you have all those guys? Well, they f- they fit those pieces together pretty nicely. You know, Tatis got hurt at the beginning of the year, and even then, even without a DH, even they've managed to put that lineup together with all those pieces in. And so, we're seeing that with the Orioles' outfield. Uh, maybe not that quality of players, obviously, but we're seeing that, and that's that's the direction that Mioli was pointing to—that the Orioles are trying to get to. But like I said, it, it just takes time because look at this farm system two years ago and who the top prospect was, or three years ago, look at the top prospect was Uh, it's nothing like it is today. And you forgot
1: jerks and profile and all that. The Padres, that's who I want to (laughs) be.
0: Yeah. So right now we'll see what happens to the Orioles outfield depth, but Santander are going to be out a little bit with that left ankle sprain. Um, One other item we wanted to note, though, I don't know that we're going to spend a ton of time on it was that Dean Kramer was optioned over the weekend after What was actually his best start so far this season against the Rangers? Um, And most of the comments you have seen since then have been very positive about Kramer, that there are some things he needs to work on, but this does not sound like it's going to be a long-term issue. In fact, it looks like more of a procedural move because the Orioles did not need a fifth starter, given that they had an off day Monday, and then we'll have another one tomorrow before starting a weekend series against the A's on Friday. Um, so just kind of your quick takeaway, starting with Bob on Kramer being option, but then it seeming like there was a little bit of progress in that outing against the Rangers.
1: Yeah, I guess it's up to debate if you can consider it a very good start or just a solid start. You know, there was a little bit of debate on that on Twitter, but to me, it it was, it was a very encouraging start. I'll say that. I mean, he definitely just seemed like he was in the most control of his pitches. He went to the curveball more. He was kind of falling in love with that new cutter. So I guess he's going to back off of that until he can refine some things. But I'm encouraged. And it's a paper move. I mean, they did this a few years back with Wei and Chen, if you'll remember. So not that big of a deal. Of course, it's one of those things where as soon as you see it announced, you know, all of Orioles Twitter is just going to freak out where, oh, my God, Dean Kramer, he's supposed to be one of our guys. But then you think about it for two seconds and you're like, oh, wait a second. Now I understand. So. Not a big deal, but, I mean, I guess it, it sucks if you're Dean Kramer that you have to go away from the team for a week or two, but he'll be back, and hopefully he gets some time, you know, some side work over there to even improve things even more before his next start.
2: Yeah, he didn't get to enjoy that Miami Beach beach off day that it looked like everybody else on the auras was enjoying the other day. But, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great start. I mean, considering what we saw him, his first two starts, they were not good, and he hit that wall quick. And he fell apart. He just was not throwing strikes at all. Uh, But that last start, I think he could have went five innings. You know, but I don't want to get into like a Brandon Hyde pitcher management discussion here. But four point two innings, one earned run, one walk, and six strikeouts, and that's a solid outing from him. I think now you get that bullpen work. You get to stay there in Baltimore, uh, hang out, and I think at. I would be probably more concerned if he got shelled again in that last start. And now he's getting skipped, even though it doesn't matter who that fifth starter was. They're going to get skipped anyway. Uh, but I think this is good where he can now just take a breather, uh, relax, focus everything on Oakland, prepare for Oakland, who was like hitting. I was looking it up earlier. They were hitting 216 before they have really taken it to Minnesota this week, though. So they're hot. But uh, I think he'll get to skip the Yankees. So. You get to skip the Yankees, you get a couple of days off, you get to work on the bullpens, you're coming off that good start, and now you get to go totally refocused and, and fresh against Oakland. So I'm excited to see him in the next outing, but it was promising.
0: I wonder if Kramer is tired of facing the Yankees, because I think he's only had seven seven starts in his career and a 3 are against the Yankees. Yeah. So I, I wonder if it's kind of nice for him to be on the mound. It's like, oh, there's a uniform um, that's not the Yankees, and there's someone other than Aaron Judds in the batter's box. Yeah.
2: <laughs> It certainly at, least we, helps. Yeah, at least we switched well against them, though, so I guess
0: we got that. Yeah, that, that's true. So uh, we'll probably see Kramer back on the mound soon. And uh, below Kramer, the Orioles are developing some pretty good young starters, and I think we're going to see a lot of that in 2021 now that we are going to have a minor league season. Uh, right now, the Orioles, four, four full-season affiliates, slated to get under, underway on May the 4th. And tonight, we're going to start our preview of the minor league season by talking about the pitchers that we're really excited to follow this year. And what we're going to do, just to kind of give you a sense of where we're expecting players to go in the farm system to start off the year, we're going to revisit a piece that Bob wrote late in 2020, uh, projecting the minor league rosters. Uh, in a few cases, there are players that we now know are not going to start at those levels, one of them being Bruce Zimmerman, who Um, was projected for AAA, but is currently in the majors. But uh, Bob, I think, did a pretty good job here of breaking down where these players are going to go. So we're going to refer to that for tonight, and I will let Bob start off in uh, AAA with that rotation and bullpen.
1: Yeah, so I had Michael Bauman getting the opening day nod. We'll see if that's the case. Zach Louther's in there, Alexander Wells. I had Bruce Zimmerman, but maybe you can slip in Keegan Aiken if he's not back with the Orioles by then, and Kevin Smith. So one power righty and a bunch of uh, soft and lefties. And then in the bullpen, we had Zach Pop, rest in peace. Isaac Matson, and Cody Sedlock is the top three relievers. So, you know, plenty plenty to be encouraged about there, right on the knocking on the door of the major leagues.
0: Yeah, and Ballman is one of the guys we're going to highlight tonight. Um Broke out in a big way in 2019 with an excellent season between high A Frederick and double A Bowie. Last year was at the alternate site um, and was a little bit limited in its workload because of a uh, flexor strain problem, which the Orioles said was not really serious at the time. Um, And so far, there really has not been anything to emerge that contradicts that. So the expectation for now is that we are going to see Ballman on the mound here in a couple of weeks um, at Norfolk. He gets a lot of praise for his fastball-slider combination, and many prospect evaluators feel that if he doesn't make it as a starter, um, the Orioles have a really good reliever on their their hands. Nevertheless, with the progress he made in 2019, the Orioles are going to and probably should give him every opportunity to start. Um, So starting with Nick, do you think that we could see Ballman this year, and what are your expectations for him?
2: Uh possibly. I think at the very end, maybe as like a reward. I uh, keep fans interested those last few weeks of the season. Uh but with Bauman, I mean, I think this is a dude. Like, I mean, we're not gonna talk about Grayson Rodriguez in depth tonight because like we've got it. He's elite, he's fantastic. We know that we're all excited to watch Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, DL Hall, I think we are gonna talk about, so we'll save him there. But you've got those two guys at the top of this prospect list in the Orioles farm system. And then you've got this big group behind them of your Keegan Akins, Dean Kramer, Zach Lothers, all those lefties down there that Bob just mentioned as possible Norfolk rotation. And I think we're hoping like one or two of those guys comes out as a back end starter of that group. And Bauman, I think, tends to get lumped into that next wave of pitching prospects. But I'm actually more willing to slide him up closer to Rodriguez and Hall. And I don't think bombing gets enough hype in this system, honestly. I mean, he's 6'4", 235 pounds. Like that's a dude who's gonna get on that mound. He looks like he belongs on that mound. If you haven't watched him pitch live, like you have to this year, even though if he is in Norfolk, I know for a lot of Orioles fans, it's a little tough to get out to. But um last 2019, if you want to say last year, we're in like two years now. Uh 2019, look at his numbers, he had 142 strikeouts and 124 innings between Frederick and Bowie and a 1.04 whip. And he pitched at a hitter's park and Frederick for a lot of that only four home runs allowed. Uh, I think those are fantastic numbers. Go back to what we were talking to Stephen Loftus last weekend. At some point, we were talking about small school pitching prospects at some point, the numbers speak for themselves. And I think that's the case with Bauman here. Um, you know, two years ago, we were talking about is Michael Bauman, a serviceable reliever at the major league level, like a fringe reliever type. And now I think he is a definite number three, mid rotation starter at the major league level. If everything goes right. Um, I think he might even be a little bit more of a complete package than a guy like D.L. Hall. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but I, I don't know. D.L. Hall's ceiling is obviously a lot higher, but I don't think Bauman gets enough love. I think this guy's going to have a monster year for the Orioles.
1: I definitely agree with what you're saying. I don't know if I'm quite as high on him as you, but I mean, it seemed like Brandon Hyde was really impressed with what he saw from him in spring training. It seemed like they were trying to get a good look at him and the way all of our, the Orioles pitchers so far this year seem to be like a tick or two up with their velocity for the most part. I know Paul Fry's ticked up, uh, Travis Lakin's seniors ticked up, and Mike, Michael Bauman already sits, what, 90, in mid-90s, up to maybe 96. So if he can tick up even a little bit, and Grayson Rodriguez, speaking of him, he was sitting 96-97 at the minor league spring training game the other day I saw a video of. So, yeah, I mean, the slider fastball change up, I guess he, he could be a dude for sure. I think he I think it's overblown how much everyone wants to keep bringing up, you know, future closer, future closer. I, I, I'm with you. I think he's a rotation piece all the way.
0: Yeah, There's a tendency to jump at that just because you see that fastball slider combination. And I know why it's tempting, because you look at that and you think, well, this is a guy you could run through the system really quickly if you just stuck with that. But Um, In the last two years, last two full seasons, he pits. Ballman pretty much was a a workhorse, 130 and two thirds innings in 2018, 124 innings in 2019. A lot of that coming, as Nick mentioned, at a hitter friendly park in Frederick. Um, So the guy has been healthy, you know, with the exception of the end of last year, has been healthy and just really productive when he's been on the mound and. I've always kind of pictured him, as, if you look at Orioles pitching prospects, as being on some tier in between uh, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and then the rest of the system. It's just like because Ballman's ceiling is so much higher than a guy like a Zach Lothar's, in my mind, I would put him ahead of him.
2: Yeah, that and that no-hitter he had in Bowie, uh, I mean, he was was trying to find it. He was hitting 98. He might have hit 99 in the ninth inning, but he was still hitting like 97, 98 miles an hour in the ninth inning of a no-hitter. Like how many guys can do that at the minor league level? I I don't think very many. And I know that was just one outing, but he had a completely dominant year uh, last year. I think he threw another like seven-inning – I don't know if it was a no-hitter or just a seven-inning shutout like the next start or two starts later – that same year. So, I mean, I, I'm excited to watch him for sure. And I think, I think worst case scenario, obviously worst case scenario is, is he doesn't make it, but even if he does have to be transitioned to the bullpen as that power closer, you know, maybe he can be that guy that maybe we wanted Hunter Harvey to be, who is clearly he's not going to be. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Agreed.
0: So let's have a look now at the double a buoy staff, uh, the rotation in the bullpen.
1: Sure. Uh, we have, Grayson Rodriguez, of course, the D.L. Hall, the big names. And then we got a guy like Kyle Bradish, uh, Nick's favorite, Brennan Hannafee, and then a reclamation project in Blaine Knight. And then out of the bullpen, I had Zach Muckenhearn, Ofelke, Peralta, and Adam Stauffer as the top three relievers.
0: So Out of that group, um, guy, I know Nick has two guys he wants to focus on, which is DL Hall and Kyle Brattis.
1: Shockingly, not Hanfy. <laughs> no, we, we talked about him
2: a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think I guess we can start with Hall since we were talking with Bob there. I, I guess I put Hall down and I debate about bringing him up or not because I think I, I like that we, you know, we don't spend every episode talking about Adley Rutschman and Grace Rodriguez and DL Hall because we like these the deeper guys um, that there's real talent here in this farm system, but I'm bringing up deal hall just because, you know, I watch a lot of other baseball teams across the league. Whenever there's a game one, I've always got some sort of major league game one uh, until the minor league season starts and watching guys like Marcus Strowman out there in the mound, watching jazz Chisholm, Ronald Acuna, Tim Anderson, Trent Grisham. I, I love Trent Grisham. Like, Nick Cassianos, like, framed that photo of him standing over the catcher in my office behind me. Um, and then suspend I, <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love these guys. I love guys. They're not afraid to have fun, show their personality, and they're dominant. And I think Dio Hall could be that guy for the Orioles. Like I mentioned, I've mentioned before that I don't think there's really, there's none of that like public personality when it comes to this Orioles roster. Um, you know, Trey Mancini is obviously a, a super nice guy, but I mean, there's no, There's nobody, yeah. There's no flair on this roster. I think DL Hall could be that personality. Um, You know, when he steps on the mound, he knows he's better than you. He thinks he's better than you. uh, And he's going to prove that he's better than you every single time he's out there on the mound. And and I want to see him do the strikeout, shimmy, strut, whatever he's got after he sits down Aaron Judge for the third time in a game or or pound his glove as he walks back into the dugout. Like, I want to see that. And I guess with the minor league season starting in two weeks from yesterday, uh, and going over this list of pitchers down in the system, I think I just got really excited about DL Hall's potential. Um, you know, I think it is safe to say he probably starts the year out of buoy, uh, and he could be another guy that maybe by the end of the year is pitching for the Orioles. Gets a little taste of the major leagues if he pitches really well. And, and of course, it's the walk issue is obviously the big thing there.
1: The raw stuff is just incredible. You saw it in the off with those videos that were being posted, just hitting ninety nine with look like ease and. There's so much movement and stuff and spin rate. I'm sure uh, it's it's. I'm excited to watch him pitch for sure. And he's starting to look like a left-handed Dean Kramer with the way his hair's growing out. So nothing wrong with that either. But yeah, this guy. I'm hoping that Eric Long and Hagen is is dead wrong on him, and he is not just a multi-inning relief pitcher. And he is a stud top of the rotation lefty.
0: Yeah, Hall's stuff, there there just are not a lot of lefties out there. And Eric Longenhagen is actually the one who has made this point a couple of times um, that, you know, a fastball who averaged 94.9 in 2019, look at other lefties, it's Jesus Lizardo and Blake Snell. That's it. So that just tells you there's not a lot of peers out there for D.L. Hall, which is what makes him so exciting. Um, The one thing that we're not going to get to see this year is him really stretch out his innings just because of the circumstances. Um, The fact that, you know, he's now had basically a year off. We're going to have the sort in minor league season. So, you know, we're not going to get to see that. But I think otherwise, if we see him cut back on the walks, that's going to be a um, big, big stride for him. And should note that he is rule five eligible after this year. Yeah. So, maybe that does position him for a late season call up if the Orioles figure we got to add him to the 40 man roster in a couple of months, anyways. Might as well do it now. Yeah, I forgot about that
2: point. He is Rule 5 eligible. Um, it's a big list this year, too, of intriguing guys that are Rule 5 eligible. But yeah, you just look at his, his numbers in the minor leagues. He's got 185 minor league innings under his belt right now, a 2.96 ERA. Only a 1.28 whip despite averaging five walks per game. So, I mean, that just kind of tells you how dominant he can be. Uh, It doesn't allow a lot of home runs, 0.5 home runs per game, which is a a great sight if you're an Orioles fan. Um, And he's averaging more than 11 strikeouts per game. Like, I mean, like Bob said, the raw stuff is there. It's one of the top raw talents, I think, in all of minor league baseball.
1: But it's can the Orioles harness that? And we'll see this year. Yeah, I mean, the walks are his only real enemy. I mean, he, clearly people don't hit him hard. They don't hit him. They don't square up the ball. So, I mean, I know obviously it's low minors at this point, but you got to think with that stuff, if he can just locate at all, kind of like Tanner Scott, then it'll be nasty.
2: Yeah, I think we've uh, pulled up here. I mean, the other guy that I had in that potential buoy rotation was Kyle Braddish. Um I, I think he's intriguing just because – Looking more into him, we haven't seen him pitch yet, part of that Angels trade. But, I mean, this is a guy who has four pitches. who all They all grade pretty well if you look up scouting reports. Um, and I think he's probably going to work as a starter for now. I think that projection is accurate, even though I think a lot of people, if you look at a lot of prospect lists, they kind of have him maybe as, as a bullpen guy. Um, I think the same goes for all of these guys that they got back in that Dylan Bundy trade. But um, when you look at prospect lists, I was looking around the different lists today, and particularly focusing on Kyle Bradish. We have him at number 20 Fangraphs has him at 31 kind of low. That's the low point Uh, prospects live has him at 25 or 26. And then MLB pipeline has him all the way up at number 14. So, I mean, no one can really agree where to slot him at. He's got this unique delivery. It's really like straight over the top delivery. I tweeted out a video of some, some highlights of the guys we were talking about tonight. You can see that, uh, but he's one of those guys like Bob mentioned, who's got the Velo increase. He's up to 97 now. Uh, after pitching in the upper 80s to low 90s super high strikeout guy didn't pitch a rookie ball at all went straight to high a was dominant there again walks are an issue with him going back to his college days but this is the same like i could see kyle bradish probably end of the year down in triple a i don't know if he's a major league call up candidate by the end of the year but i think this could be a real like one of the wild card pitchers i think down in the minor leagues this
1: year yeah this is a guy that I mean, we've been hearing so much about him ever since we got him from in the Dylan Bundy trade, and it just seems like he has a bunch of helium without really even pitching in a game for us. He, uh, I'm just curious to see what he looks like. And I saw something on the BSL message board recently about how the Orioles gave away Dylan Bundy, and I'm thinking I think people are going to have a much different vision of that trade in a couple of years once we actually see what these guys can do because I'm pretty bullish on – all four of the pitchers that we got back in that trade. And I think Kyle Bradish could be the prize of the bunch, especially if his velocity is up that much and his slider is still as good as it ever was. I mean, this guy could be in our top 10 by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when you look at the offseason season uh, prospects list, as Nick mentioned, there's a lot of disagreement right now. And I think a lot of that was Bradis's, that He just has very little professional experience. Um, he's thrown, in fact, 101 innings. Uh, professional baseball so far. Um, part of that is because of how the Angels handle their pitching prospects out of college. They tend to not put them on the mound in games after they sign them, uh, which is an issue for a pitcher that we're going to talk about a little bit later on with Garrett Stallings. Um, and, and then a lot of that also owes to the fact there was no minor league season last year. But what I always go back to is Braddis, is that he went from college to the California League, which is was notoriously one of the most, if not the most hitter-friendly leagues in all minor league baseball. Now it's a low-A league, but the ballparks are pretty much still the same, so that's going to continue into the future. But Bradis made that jump, and I think in that 2019 season with Inland Empire, the high walk rate is really the only flaw you can find. Otherwise, I think he more than held his own there. And he's a guy that if he would put together you know, a good season at Bowie last year, would probably be coming into this season consensus top 10, top 15 prospect. We just got to see him cut back on the walks and really round out the secondary offerings, and I think that if he does that by, you know, July or the end of the season, he's going to move way up our list and probably move up the other list as well. Yeah, I
2: like the point that Bob had there of the Dylan Bunny trade being like a, a quantity over quality type deal. And I don't, I don't agree either. I mean, obviously, all four of those guys aren't going to work out, and we're going to talk about another one of those another one of those later on. Uh, but, and, and I know for a fact that the Orioles scouted Cal Bernovich pretty heavily down in college when he was in college at Elon. So, I mean, these are guys that the Orioles wanted. It's not just, these are four mid range pitching prospects that we just need to build up the farm system. These are guys that the Orioles really did want. And, and I think Bradish is one of those when you see him as high as 14 on prospect lists. And I think there are some other people out there that may be even higher on him. So, I mean, this is, like I said, he's a real wild card. I think if he has a big year, you can start adding him into that mix of, the the Alexander Wells and Zach Lothers. He's not included in that mix right now, but he could be by the
1: end of the year for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I guess is it time to move on to IA, not Frederick, Aberdeen. Let's see who we have. We have Drew Rahm, Gray Fenter, Leonardo Rodriguez, Nick Vespi, and Ryan Wilson as the starting pitchers. And then I have the top three relievers as Shelton Perkins, Dallas Lisher, and Ryan Conroy. So I think I had Gray Fenter out of this bunch. And I think Garrett Stallings will probably, we'll probably end up here. I think we traded for him after I wrote this article. So uh, which way do you want to go first, Zach?
0: Um, let's go ahead and we'll start with um, Fenter because he did just come back from the Cubs a couple of weeks ago in the Rule 5 draft. So that's a good place to start.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of why he was intriguing to me. Just I feel like once someone gets taken from you in the Rule 5, especially when Zach Pop is the one that was getting all the attention just seems like it's easy to just forget about a guy kind of write him off he's gone but he's back now and he's still the same pitcher he was you know after that great season in 2019 for Del Marva he still might ultimately end up in the bullpen but and he's old for the level but i think there's still a lot of potential there especially as a you know a middle to late inning bullpen arm which are pretty valuable and i don't know i'm just curious to see if his time with the cubs in their spring training paid any dividends for
0: us i am too and the one thing with Fenter is that despite his age um his professional experience is still kind of limited because of having tommy john surgery so early in his career and it it more or less cost him two years because he only got 30 innings in 2017 um so to get to the rule, you know, to get to the point where he was chosen in the rule five draft by the Cubs is good, although I was very surprised by that pick, as I think a lot of people were. He couldn't make the team out of camp, but I don't think that really speaks to where his value is right now. Um long term I still think he's gonna end up a reliever. Just when you look at uh the type of pitcher he is, his age, the fact that he does have a little bit of an injury history at this point, probably, you know, does put him in a position to be a reliever. But if the Orioles want to take a shot at keeping him in the rotation for a little while, I don't think there's any harm in that.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I think he's definitely going to stick as a starter. Uh, When you look at that projected rotation for Aberdeen, uh, it's on the surface. I don't think it looks very exciting, but uh, it is. It's it's got some sleepers in there and a guy like Drew Rum, who I think is is got a is got a key year ahead of him, but. Fenter's, uh, Fenter's still fun. It, it is easy to look at him and say, oh, well, the Cubs plucked him off out of the Rule 5 draft, and they didn't like him. He didn't fit. So now he's back with the Orioles. So like, what excitement level is there with Fenter? But I actually went back and, and when I saw Fenter on the list for today. Um, I, I had a lot of free time recently, uh, but I went back and watched um, when I was checking on MILB TV status uh, for this year, and I watched one of Fenter's starts, a couple innings of one of his starts last year at the end of the year, when he, 2019, sorry, when he was with Delmarva. Uh, and I mean you quickly see a guy who's got a major league repertoire I mean the curveball is huge Uh, it's a good pitch I think that's a major league pitch right now Uh, fastball didn't have a lot of velo but if he can locate it it works so he's got a change up there so he's got the repertoire to to move up the system as a reliever for sure Um, but yeah like you mentioned the Tommy John surgery then 2020 uh, not having 2020 there so he's missed a lot of time and you might just look at he's a 25 year old guy, and you know maybe he is in Aberdeen. So if he's 25 years old in High A, a lot of people are going to instantly overlook him. But I, I think we've mentioned this before. It might have been Uzak who brought up this point before that you can't really look at the age this year because you're going to have older guys at younger levels now because there was no baseball last year. So I think Finter's still definitely someone you you want to you want to watch this year.
1: Hey. Cesar Valdez is 37, and he's still rocking it as like a quote-unquote young guy in the major leagues.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's always hope, I guess. And the one guy that Bob mentioned a, a minute ago, that was Garrett Stallings, who came over in the Jose Iglesias trade right after Bob's piece was published um, in November. Uh, the Iglesias deal was polarizing, to say the least, at the time. And I'm sure that there are still a lot of Orioles fans who don't like the trade, um, even though I think the end result has been just fine with Freddie Galvis at shortstop. Um, but if you pull that out of the equation for a minute, the Orioles got back a pitcher that I think if they had drafted him in the fifth or sixth round in 2019, fans would have been happy with this pick. Stallings is not throw hard, but the consensus is that he has a really good four-pits mix, can generate a lot of ground balls. Threw a lot of innings in Tennessee, um, so he pits in a competitive SEC conference. And the thing is, he does not walk anybody. Had a walk rate that I believe was at 1.4 uh, over his career at Tennessee. Has yet to throw a professional pitch um, in competitive game action, although he got time at the Angels' fall instructs last year and reportedly was heavily scouted there, and the Orioles really liked what they saw. So this is someone who, again, no professional experience coming over in a trade that was sort of controversial among fans. So I think he has been overlooked so far, but I think in a couple of months, we're going to be talking about how good Garrett Stallings looks against high a competition at Aberdeen.
1: Yeah. I think this is another potential helium guy, kind of like Kyle Bradish, another guy who has increased his velocity. And if he can get up close to the mid nineties with that same control, then you're talking about an entirely another level of pitcher. So Yeah, I mean, it's where the low minors is where it's super interesting for me because it's so a bunch of guys who have almost little to no professional experience, but who knows how they've improved and what's going on. It's just going to be fun to see how it all shakes out and who gets promoted, how fast, and who's pitching out of the bullpen, who's starting. It's it's crazy out there. It's the wild west.
2: Yeah. And I think we already saw, I think it was Mike Elias who said that there's going to be a lot of piggybacking down in the minor leagues this year for the Orioles. So yeah, like you mentioned with Dio Hall, the Indians probably aren't going to be there for a lot of guys this year, but Stallings, he's a Virginia guy. So of course I'm going to root for him. He's a 757 guy on top of that. So uh, out of Chesapeake, it's, I think it's difficult to to guess at what happens with Stallings this year. I do like the high A probably beginning, beginning of the year in high A if he's got you know, two seasons, two seasons, quote-unquote, of alt-site experience. Um, he does have that velo increase. He was working in the, the, the closer to the mid-90s now, and he talked about in the video that he put out a couple of months ago little tweaks to his mechanics that he did to get that velo increase. Uh, Orioles, a lot of guys with velo increases this year, but he throws a lot of strikes. Um, he's out of grass field high school in Chesapeake, so he's pitched at a high level at the high school ranks. Friday night starter at Tennessee. So he's got that experience there where he was really dominant. Zach mentioned the, the extremely low walk rate. Uh, even in the Cape Cod League, I went back and looked at those numbers. He struck out 21 guys who didn't walk a single batter in 18 innings in the Cape Cod League. So he's pitched at a really high level every step of the way in his career. Uh, and then I, I did see uh, Steve Maleski had a piece back over the winter after the trade where he got a scout's take on Stallings, a National League scout's take. And he threw a Zach Davies comp out there on Garrett Stallings, which I think if you have Zach Davies for Jose Iglesias trade, I think that's a fantastic trade Uh, just because Zach Davies I know is not good this year, but he's with the Cubs and the Cubs are a disaster this year. So scratch that. But he had three good years in Milwaukee. He put up a really good year last year in San Diego before being traded for you, Darvish. Uh, So if that's the kind of
1: guy we're looking at, then, yeah, it makes me excited to see what Garrett Stallings has. Yeah, you make that trade 100% of the time, every time. all right should we move on to Del marva yes all right here we go we have another a couple angels guys kyle bernovich and zach peak we have the long forgotten easton lucas from the jonathan vr trade uh kevin mcgee and dan hammer would round out the rotation or so i said about six months ago and the top three guys in the bullpen were houston roth Cade stroud and connor gillespie Three other guys that were kind of like uh, pitcher soup from the 2019 draft. Oh, and I had the guy. <laughs> I had Zach Peak was my, my highlight <laughs> of this group. Again, just all we can really go off of lately is <laughs> videos posted to Twitter. And Zach Peak is another guy with a velocity increase, spin, spin rate increase. Uh, just looks like he's really working hard on his own, I'm sure with the advice of the Orioles, but it seems like he is trying to, you know, improve in every which way he can with nothing else better to do. And now he's going to finally get the chance to show it to the world and uh, cheers.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm interested also in Easton Lucas there that you mentioned because I don't know how many teams that Jonathan Villar played for since that deal, <laughs> and we still haven't seen Easton Lucas. Like, I just thought of that. He's played for at least three different teams at this point uh, and been dropped or traded by all of them. Uh, but, now Zach Peek's fun. Yeah, like you mentioned, he's been training here uh, in Harrisonburg, Next Level Academy, so unsolicited shout-out to them. That's where Brandon Hanneby is training also. Orioles had the both of those guys on velo programs down here. Um, another Virginia guy at that, so of course I'm pulling for Zach Peake. Um, you know, he, he's a lot of the focus on those videos we saw were the changeup and that at the alt site. Uh, and there are some videos up on YouTube. I have to link those maybe in the show notes or something. That uh, Zach Peake was in one of those videos that someone got a hold of uh, at last year's alt site work. Uh, but you know, the changeup was a swing and miss pitch. And then it was Spencer Davis. Who's working with Hanafi and um, uh, Zach peak over here in Harrisonburg, but at next level Academy, but it was the changeup that wasn't getting the swing and miss net recently. And that's back. That's working for him. He says, so he's part of this big group of guys, you know, like we said, we've never seen pitch before all coming from the angels. Uh, and Michael Ass has rated this farm system, except for Reed Detmers is still over there for now. He's going to be an Oriole eventually. Don't worry. Uh, but again, another high strikeout pitcher. Out of the Big South Conference, which that's still a really good conference. That's a good baseball conference. Uh, so high strikeout guy. The Orioles love that. Um, I want to point out an article, though, uh, from Eric Garfield over at Utah Street Report. Uh, he was on Locked on the Orioles today. A good episode talking about some yeah, deep prospects. Job. Yeah, more deep prospects mm-hmm. than I love down there in that episode. Um, but I'll link his article in our show notes, too. But he had an interview with Zach Peake recently, mm-hmm. and I think that's really the best info we have on Zach Peake since he's joined the Orioles. Uh, But it was a guy that he talked about. He he likes to work off his fastball that's in the mid-90s now. He has the changeup, a super high-spin curveball. I think he noted it's over like 3,000 RPMs, which which is a pretty high-ranking curveball. Slider, or I think Peake calls it a slurve to get more uh, horizontal action when he wants that. So I think there's pieces there. There's four guys there that if he can work in in a relief role, great. If he works as a starter, even better. But, I mean, like People can stay down on Orioles pitching prospects if you want, but, like, you're not going to drag me out with you because, I mean, there are some dudes in this organization. And one of those dudes who we talked about today very recently, I want to say he told us specifically, quote, it's a big year to do something big. Uh, and I think that should be, like, the motto of Orioles minor league baseball this year.
1: Hell
0: yeah. <laughs> The thing that, he, that everybody needs to keep in mind about the Dylan Bundy trades, we still don't really know what the Orioles' return is because not only did we not have a minor league season last year, but that some of these players actually did not pitch to the professional level in 2019, and Peak is one of them. So I, I'm excited to see what he has. I've seen some of the videos. Um, I saw the Utah Street Report piece that Nick mentioned. There is some real potential here. So I, I'm excited to see him get on the mound. Um hopefully here in a couple of weeks in Del Marva and start to get a sense for finally have a sense of what the Orioles got back in a Dylan Bundy trade and whether or not this is a quantity over quality as a lot of the detractors of the deal have said, or if there's four pitching prospects in that deal to be excited about.
2: Yeah. I think at the top of this too, like it might sound like we're high on all these guys, which we are to a certain extent. At least we're talking about guys with standout tools, and at the top of all of this, you've got Chris Holt, who, again, that's a guy who we've heard from pitchers in this organization themselves say that Chris Holt is fantastic to work with. We had Spencer Watkins on the show who had high praise for him. We've had other pitchers who have reached out and said that Chris Holt is, is a guy that they really enjoy working with, and they've called him a genius uh, for what he's able to do with pitchers. And so you know, we'll see what kind of magic he works this year down on the farm.
1: And the good thing about this is, yeah, we're We're optimistic. There's no doubt about it, but we have reason to be, and it's a depth thing, and y'all just don't know. You just don't know yet. (laughs) You'll wake up one day.
0: So I'll give a little bit of trivia to build off of uh, next point about Jonathan VR. Um, Per baseball reference uh, coming into today, VR has appeared in 63 games since that trade between the 2019 and 2020 seasons. He has played for three teams. And between those three teams, he has an OPS of 616. Now, I'll put Bob on the spot here as a trivia question. Can you name all three teams?
1: Marlins, Mets. Oh, shoot. And he got traded to the Blue Jays?
0: Yep, that's it. Okay. All three. Yeah.
1: And it was the Blue Jays that I think I remember
2: reading that the Blue Jays got rid of him because they did not like his clubhouse character. So, there we
0: go. Maybe
1: maybe there was more to that trade than we knew at the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll find out, but that's uh, still kind of interesting that Jonathan VR has been on three teams since 2019, and we have yet to see Easton Lucas Pitts. But hopefully, again, in a couple of weeks at Del Marvel, we'll see him on the mound.
2: For sure. Um, I think I added one more to to this list, and not a specific name, but just because there are so many intriguing, I won't say. I'll say intriguing pitchers in this system. I mean, we're talking about pitching preview here. Are there any other guys that you guys have on your list, just kind of briefly, that you're excited to watch this
0: year? Drew Rahm is kind of that guy for me because I feel like he's been lost in the shuffle a little bit um, just because of the number of players that have been brought in. I think I made the point before that I view Drew Rom as an Adam Hall of pitchers in that a lot of people were high on him coming off of 2019 because he had a great year for a younger guy in low A. 2020 rolls around. He's not on the mound. And this influx of new talent comes in from outside the system, uh, mainly through trades with pitchers. And now it seems like the sign has worn off a little bit for no reason. I know that Rom did pitch in a league in Kentucky last year, and I couldn't find a lot about how he pitched there. But don't forget that this is someone who, in over a full season at Del Marva in 2019, really didn't walk anybody, generated a lot of ground balls. And there's a lot of discussion with Rom about whether or not he can increase his velocity as he moves up the system, which is something that's worth watching given that he's a younger guy. But at the same time, we've seen where pitchers like Zach Lothar and Alexander Wells and hopefully Kevin Smith this year have been able to get to the higher levels of the Orioles system and stay successful despite not throwing that hard. So I think that Rom, I'm really interested to see how he looks at Aberdeen this year because I think he's been forgotten about a little bit, and it has nothing to do with his performance and just everything to do with the fact that he hasn't pitched in you know, eight, over 18 months now, and a lot of new pitching prospects have come into the system since then.
1: Yeah, that's a great call. And along the same lines, I was just looking at, my stupid top 75 prospect list towards like the second half of that. And I'm just thinking there's so many guys here that I had some interest or a little bit of excitement towards at one point in time, say 2019 that have just kind of gone forgotten since then, since of everything that happened, all the new people we've acquired. And some of those guys are like Leonardo Rodriguez, uh, Jake Zebron or Zebron. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Uh, Griffin McLarty was McLarty was the first pitcher drafted in the 2019 draft. Uh, so obviously Elias must have liked him the most out of all these guys that he took and Nick Vespi, I feel like was a guy who had some intriguing reliever qualities in him. So, uh, yeah, those are just some of the names that I'm curious to see how they look coming out here in 2021.
2: Yeah. I had two of those guys on my list. Uh, Nick Vespi for sure. He was at the top of my list. Uh, just not because his name is Nick also, but I mean, that helps. Uh, but he was uh, an 18th round pick out of Florida JUCO ranks. And we talked last weekend or last week with Steven Loftus about that talent out of the JUCO ranks uh, that might go undrafted now with this new draft process. But, um, you know, two straight years in Delmarva also. And I think he's a little bit older, but uh, his first year in Delmarva, he was mostly a reliever. 2019, he worked mostly as a starter and put up really good numbers. I mean, a 3.66 ERA, 1.12 whip, and 100 strikeouts in 91 innings. Doesn't allow very many home runs. Uh, I like him. You want to see fewer walks for sure, but I think he's a fun guy to watch. Um, Jake Zebron was the other guy that I had on my too, mostly because he's a high school pick. He's from here in Maryland. He's a local Maryland guy, another 18th round draft pick uh, in a 2018 draft. But he's 6'3", uh, with a, a fat low 90s fastball and a 60 future value grade curveball on fan graphs. So I think this is a guy who still he ranks just outside the Orioles top 30, some Orioles top 30 prospect list. Um, So 50 future value grade command. I mean, those are exciting tools that you want to see. He's pitched 71 innings since he joined the Orioles as an 18 year old. And he in two years, he's never given up a home run. So there you go. Um, I know it's low minors GCL, but still no home runs. And the other one I was going to cheat and say that I'm including the entire 2019 draft class in this. Uh, There were 18 pitchers who signed and total those 18 guys combined. I want to see who rises to the top, who falls out. Uh, That's what I'm excited to see. But as a whole, those 18 guys combined for a 1.81 ERA, uh, 462 strikeouts and just 136 walks and only 10 home runs allowed and more than 430 innings between GCL, Aberdeen and Delmarva. Those are fantastic
1: numbers and I want to see the cream rise to the crop in that bunch. Couldn't agree more at that point. I think I even said it uh, in my Delmarva preview in that article that we've been uh, noting that it's just seems like, you know, there's going to be three or four of those guys that kind of, you know, make themselves a little bit above the rest. And then there's going to be some guys that you don't really hear from, but someone we're going to hit on some of them for sure.
0: So just because Bob mentioned this earlier, I do want to circle back. And one quick uh, in-house note here is that On The Verge is up for several awards in the Maryland Podcast Awards. Um, The link is online um, over at MarylandPodcastMonth.blogspot.com. And we're up for uh, several awards in there. So Bob and Nick, uh, if you guys got anything that you want to say to the listeners to earn their votes,
2: I mean, we're the only Orioles podcast dedicated to the minor leagues, and this is where all the action is, guys. I mean, it's it's cool to see. Um, Yeah, we're up for host of the year. You can vote for us there. I don't know why we're not all together, but you can vote for up to (laughs) three in each category. So you got all three there. Um, We're there podcast of the year and sports podcast of the year. Uh, I, I mean, I think it'd be awesome. We would, of course, love your vote. And yeah, vote. Don't boo, vote. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah rock the vote uh, if you're from the 90s and this i want to see us show up at least in the top three of one of these categories that would be cool it doesn't matter either way but it's it's just cool to being included and if we win i don't know i'll uh, get a shirt made uh, a <laughs> winner and i'll pass them out at the next Oreo game yes yeah, just... say... i'll go I'll ahead
0: Zach. no go ahead
1: I was going to say, I will say that stay tuned to the
2: social our social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, you can vote. The link to vote is up there as our pin tweet right now as well. But stay tuned to the social media accounts on Monday. I think starting Monday we'll do this. Uh, we got a pretty big giveaway to hand out to somebody, maybe a couple of giveaways uh, to celebrate the return of minor league baseball. So follow the social media accounts and vote for us. Tell us you voted for us. Show us the proof. Maybe you'll we'll get a bonus entry. I don't know. Hey, don't know. there you go. I'm not, I'm not against bribing.
0: <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate the listener support uh, over the last year plus that we've doing this, been, been doing this podcast. Um, and so continue to follow us on social media uh, over at Twitter, at BSL on The Verge. We're very active over there. In addition, you can visit BaltimoreSportsandLife.com for all of the latest Orioles, Ravens, and college sports coverage and be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion. Uh, I'm planning to have a couple of stories up here over the next few weeks, but before we sign off tonight, I want to give Bob and Nick a chance to plug their pieces on Baltimore sports and life, starting with Bob and his latest three up, three down column.
1: Yeah, I'm still just enjoying doing a three up, three down column every week. It's one of my things I look forward to on my day off on Monday morning after I get the kids on the bus to just sit down and look at the past week and, uh, try to think mostly it's been the hitting has been terrible and the pitching has been great and trying to find different ways to say that, but uh, I'm looking forward to not only just the minor league season in general, but I'm also going to be doing a three up, three down minor league version. So another reason to uh, be excited for me at least and track these box scores. And I'm, I'm hoping I can use fan graphs tools to uh, sort the, the statistics by weeks. Cause I have no idea how to, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I got a new piece up too. It's called "The Bright Spots in Birdland." I I don't know.
2: It was was tough to find something to write about until we get a little bit more action. But yeah, just kind of looking at. I looked at three guys in particular that I think it's it's easy to say just the bad things about this team and and how they're struggling and strikeouts and everything and the injuries. But I just looked at two guys. Uh, One in particular is Ryan Mountcastle, where I said, "Don't worry about Ryan Mountcastle yet, obviously." But Lots of numbers in there. And then a look at Bruce Zimmerman, where I've really I've really enjoyed watching Bruce Zimmerman pitch uh, this year. Even today, I know he hit a wall there late. But, um, yeah, go check out those
1: pieces. Yeah, that was yeah, a good, good
0: article. Yeah, it was, Nick. And good job with your latest three-up-three-down, Bob. As always, it's really a good read. So be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Um, before our next show next week when we come back and we preview the minor league season with a look at some of the hitters and there are a lot of good hitting prospects uh, expected to report to the Orioles for full season affiliates in a couple of weeks so uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens this has been Zach Spedden you've been listening